Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Howlett and soccer journalist, Syria Ah specialist, and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Well, uh, it is that time of the year, everyone. Merry Christmas to all. Uh, if you're Christian, I guess. Uh, happy Hanukkah if you're Jewish. Ramadan if you're Muslim. Uh, Kwanzaa if you're African American. And um, if you're none of those things, it's cold out, huh? All right. <laughs> Today, we have a great guest on. He's an old buddy of mine, an old teammate of mine. Uh, we spent one crazy summer in the Olympic development team in uh, Colorado Springs. Lots of stories. Great storyteller. Also a great goalkeeper coach. He was a standout at Penn State. And uh, now he's the goalkeeper coach at NYU also runs a lot of his own personal clinics. Um, Mr. Greg Kenny will be our guest today. So gentlemen, as we head into this holiday season with so much to be thankful for in 2020, what are you over today on over the ball? Grail, Sam? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll jump in. First of all, I was going to say, I was going to get you really pissed off, Flinny, come on and say that I was over pardons. But I'm okay. not going to become political. Don't so political, uh, yeah. <laughs> I had to get that in there. So um, I am over just anyone making any excuses about injuries anymore in the Premier League or other leagues. Because the fact is that everybody's dropping like flies. Every team is affected by injuries. I feel like after every game, some other player goes down of consequence. So, again, sure. let's just uh, – everybody's in the same boat. So I just don't even want to hear about injuries well, anymore because everybody's being struck by it. I disagree because not everyone is in the same boat because if you have a team like, you know, like Liverpool, they're stacked. And so they have five, six guys go down. They didn't miss a beat, you know, guys who'd be standout players in any other team. So, you know, it's, it's like George Clooney being the high school quarterback and he never graduates every year. It's like, Hey man, you know, <laughs> give us a chance. All right. So there's that counterpoint. Okay, Sam, what okay. do you got? What are you over today on Over the Ball? So I'm over the sort of lack of synthesis between the Ooh, MLS and... It's a big word for Flinny. Can uh, you no, man. Come right. down you get over, MX and, um, you know, the rest of sort of CONCACAF. It's basically a, the CONCACAF Champions League. I, I just think it should be a bigger deal. I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Uh, that's untapped and you know it's not it doesn't quite align it doesn't seem you know we got teams just starting out their season playing teams that are in the middle of their season it just it just seems like it's kind of a mess right now it gets and, lost it gets lost in the yeah, shuffle and scene. i under i understand why the leagues take precedent but um i, I don't know i think there's there's a real opportunity that's uh, not being tapped yeah, into yeah I, I don't think i don't think people realize that because first of all the cultural differences but i think the the latino culture in the united states is so much further ahead than than sort of um what would be the 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 counterpart to that because i think white most of my latino <laughs> friends here in this country that are soccer fans they watch they watch it univision and and telemundo and and they also watch Ameri- you know soccer on but English broadcast as well. So I think they see the potential more than most people realize sometimes the synergy that can happen between those two leagues, make it bigger, um, you know, make the whole region bigger. But, um, you know, it's, it seems like people don't even, certain people, you're like, Grail, this is right in your wheelhouse where the numbers of viewers, right. Um, you know, they don't always add both together. People look at this. Well, people watch this month amount on ESPN or Fox. Yeah. But they don't always add in the, for all the, for all the big games they do joint ratings. I mean, and then and then they'll do the head to head rating. But uh, you know, I think when it comes to soccer, more than anything, the joint rating is really important, just because you got really major representation on both sides. 
So right. that's my dog. You'll hear yeah. him occasionally yeah. as, the, yeah, as I we're just going. Think like, you know, also we had LAFC versus Tigres in the final. I know we're going to talk about it a little later, but that should be a huge game. I mean, yeah. 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 So. I think, I think Sam too, because with the MLS season shuts down, right. That's kind of like mentally people shut down with all teams related to MLS. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem. It's like trying to restart that engine is just difficult. Yeah. Right. And I know Maybe I, there's a way to get it in before the end of the season. Well, I would hope, I know it's been yeah. disjointed because of COVID like everything, yeah. but I just think there's some opportunity there. I mean, even look at something like that, like an FA cup, they used to be the, the bright shining game and tournament in England is now, huh? It's the FA Cup. Well, and well, the league, the Carabao Cup, even more so. But yeah, yeah. it's just it, it's just so many games, right? A lot of games. So, yeah. uh, all right, guys. So, a lot to talk about today. Um, but Sam, you talked a little bit about this last week. Dortmund, there were troubles there, and uh, yeah, a little coaching change. Talk about it. Uh, yeah, so they've gotten rid of Lucien Favre as their head coach. Uh, this happened last week, but we didn't really talk about it. Um, yeah, it kind of been little concerned I guess is maybe the right word about them this season just because they've not been playing that well and I think they're a little bit uh, in one of these moments where they have too many young players on the team that are going to all be fantastic players they're all good players now but they don't really have that veteran core to sort of stabilize and balance it out um, there's a, a good piece they by sell Rory. everybody right yeah. yeah they sell pretty young um, like Southampton of uh, the Bundesliga well, yeah, but they're also supposed to be, you know, title favorites. Right. So mm -hmm. there, there's sort of an identity, you know, split going on there. Um, good piece by Rory Times, uh, sorry, by Rory Smith in the Times this past week, sort of saying mm -hmm. how, you know, if you're going to go for this business model, you have to be ready to put up with, you know, some, some scarcity and the fact that you're not going to be challenging for the title uh, every season, which I think is a really good point. But yeah, watching Dortmund, I sort of, I feel like, I watch a lot of college hockey. You guys probably don't, but you, you get these imbalances in college hockey where you get some teams with a lot of 23 year olds that have played two years of junior hockey versus a team mm -hmm. that's stacked with draft picks who are all 18 are all going to go on to be great NHLers, but they're, they're kids, you know, playing yeah. against men sometimes. And so, battle hardened. It's a tricky, yeah. it's a tricky manager's job, Sam, because you've got that model, the Dortmund model, which is to pick out, pick off really good up and coming young talent, groom them and then move them. Mm -hmm. And then you bring in a Max Hummels or somebody that you, you need some older guys on the team to bring some um, wisdom and stability. But it's, I just think it's a really difficult job because the expectation is you are going to compete with Bayern. Mm -hmm. But if you keep uh, moving really good talent, I'm not sure how you can compete with Bayern because like, you know, the politics of the world get transferred. Yeah, right. Sold, and you make yeah. money. Yeah. So Jesse Marsh, uh, though. Jesse Marsh could be in the mix, right, Sam? Yeah, well, they, they've hired for now Edin Terzic, who's oh, they uh, did. only okay. 38. But I, it's not clear what his long-term prospects are. Okay. Um, you know, he may just be there to kind of see out this season. But, yes, Jesse Marsh's name has been mentioned. Uh, it was mentioned even, you know, this summer uh, for a potential move to Borussia Dortmund. So he's been on their radar for a while. But – I, I don't know. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on him. That would be great. I'd love to see Jesse get there. that job, and I think that's he would do well there. Job. What? Yeah. A, that's a massive job. Right. Yeah. The thing so that he's he's a big talent, Jesse Marsh. Yeah. You know, and I think it would be do well for when he's young. Soccer. You know, it's interesting. That all the players would either go to the Dutch league or German, and then you know some of our guys the, in the early days, and maybe that's the same path that coaches will take because 
the Premier League, you know, and Grail, you and I always go at this with the attitude, the English attitude of like, ah, oh, no, we'd never have an American coach. It's like, well, most of the top coaches aren't English. So I don't know, you know, <laughs> exactly. you know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the other thing with uh, Jesse Marsh is, you know, he's already in that Red Bull system. So, you know, a lot of people think he'll go to to Leipzig next, which makes a lot of sense. And in a lot of ways, I feel like RB Leipzig have sort of usurped Dortmund in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. almost in terms of, uh, certainly in terms of challenging Bayern, but also in terms of, you know, producing young players and selling them on. So, I don't know, you might not want to, might not want to leave that system. Yeah. All right, well, speaking of young players, uh, the... U.S. Soccer's Player of the Year awards was announced. Weston McKinney uh, wins that for the men, and uh, Sam Muse wins for the women. And they also have another award for the best young player of the year, I guess, regardless of gender, or and that's Gio Reyna, which seems to be well deserved because, speaking, uh, you know, of Dortmund, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's had an impact. He really has, right? Yeah, there may be a young women's award too. Uh, I, I just don't know if they've announced that yet. But um, yeah, I, hard to argue against either of those guys, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think McKenney's been really good at Juventus. I've been really impressed. I, I've spoken about how I was worried he might get lost in the shuffle there. But um, what's Juventus- the transition he's made, Sam? Because he played in a couple different positions early on, and now he seemed to have settled in. Yeah, he's been playing the last few games as actually a right side midfielder. Um, yeah. And, you know, the team that Pirlo puts out at Juve is, again, it's very fluid, a lot of moving parts, guys switching sides, etc. So he is very valuable in that he can cover a lot of different roles and cover for guys defensively. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, he's playing technically at right midfield. Sometimes it looks like he's playing in the center. Sometimes he's pushing yeah. way up the wing. Sometimes he's tracking guys all the way back on the wing. Um, and that was really what they, you know, had hoped for bringing him in, I think, but I was worried that that would mean he would just be like a sub coming in to fill in a role for the last 10 minutes of the game. But he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's made his mark. Look, cool. You know, it's the same concern we had about Pulisic when he first got to yeah. Chelsea, you know, yeah. he's going to play and here he does, he had some impact. It's almost, you know, it's almost, uh, people bet against you as an American. It's still happening. And McKenney, I think is most people consider him the heir apparent to Bradley, Mm-hmm. playing in the center, right? That would be fair. I mean, that's probably more likely where he's going to play for the U.S. men's national team. I would think so. I think that yeah. deep, deep-lying midfielder, yeah. kind of box-to-box, and I, I, yeah, to me, to, for me, he's the future captain, too. Of the national yeah. team, so. Well, he acts like a captain. I like that. I yeah. like his attitude, how he is uh, on the field and how he carries himself um, and looks out for his, his uh, other players. Um, so, uh, well, speaking of U.S. soccer, why don't we talk a little bit about Kobe Jones, one of the most capped the U.S. soccer players ever. Yeah. He's running as a diversity candidate as the VP of U.S. soccer. Uh, Grail, what do you got on that? Yeah, so um, I, I should say that I, I don't think he's overtly saying, hi, I'm Kobe Jones and I'm a diversity candidate. But he's certainly pitching himself as the guy who has all of these experiences and obviously brings up his background uh, as an African-American. I mean, 164 caps, so you can't, in in any way dismiss his playing career you know then he was uh then he coached for uh i think the la galaxy after he stopped playing then he's been in the broadcast booth so he's got an interesting background i mean it's interesting he's got kind of like a background that our our friend kyle martino had in a way uh and it's for the vp position that cindy parlo Cohn vacated when she ascended to the presidency so i think look in this time and place he's a really really interesting candidate and as as everybody looks to uh, bring in more diversity 
you know, yeah. why not Kobe Jones? I can also say, you know, kicking around with the team for a while, he was one of the most popular and likable players uh, mm-hmm. that was on the national team for years and years, you know, back when they used to be on the national team for what, 12 years or something. Yeah. Or at least eight or something. Yeah. He so, did three uh, world cups. Yeah. He did. Uh, you know, which is, yeah. which is pretty remarkable. Actually. You were going to try to recall the three cups and you couldn't. No, I was 94, 98, 2002. That would be right. my guess. That's yeah. it. There you go. So, um, so good stuff. Also, uh, speaking of diversity, this is really good news as well. Uh, talk about DC United. They just hired a new president. Yeah. So Danita Johnson, who had uh, a very accomplished woman who had been working at the uh, Washington Mystics of the WNBA, was hired to become DC United's president um, of overseeing their business operations. And this is a big deal. I mean, it's a uh, third woman in MLS history to uh, ascend to a president's position and the first um, African-American woman. So I think it's great. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's diversity is wonderful. It's where we're going, you know, in society, it's where we're going in business. And I think it's just great for MLS. Good stuff. Um, so we'll keep yeah. an eye on that. Yeah. Um, Sam, thought of you. There's an article about uh, the dis- dissent in soccer with the referee, and I thought we we talked about that last week briefly. What uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. The, so this was funny. We were talking about Gattuso last week and yeah. what you can say on a field in Italy versus what you can say in England. Um, what haven't and, I said on a field? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and uh, Ian Plenderleith, who we've had on the show before, who's um, a Scot, I believe, who li- lives over in Germany. Um, in Soccer America has a book review this week um the book is titled referees match officials and abuse research and implications for policy so it's basically this research book trying to kind of figure out how to train refs better um to handle this stuff but also just how to you know sort of create a a better environment for them because um the numbers are not good in terms of refs new refs that sign up and how long you know they're retained um and you know specifically dissent and insults that kind of thing are you know the main reasons that people walk away so i i don't know i mean i'm sure we've all said things to refs on a field that we regret and um but yeah, it it reminds me of talking to friends who don't watch a lot of soccer. I'm sure you guys have friends like this too, you know, mm-hmm. watching games with them. One of the the main things that they continually will say to me is they just cannot believe the amount of abuse the ref has to deal with in a game. Um, you know, just guys circling around them. Yeah. Just sort of general yeah, that level. Was, that was cultural. Disrespect. It seemed to, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. It was cultural and it seems to have spread out throughout the, you know, all cultures in the entire game. But I think, I think, question authority it's been um sort of a hip thing to do maybe in the last 15 years i mean i was you know full disclosure i mean i've been a moaner of referees my whole life on the pitch so i'm gonna i'll totally own that as will anybody who's ever played with me but moaning is different than actually getting in a referee's face and Touching telling them, them grabbing to go, them by the shirt and stuff. well telling them to go f themselves or something i mean i never did any of that i mean but i you know i'd roll my eyes or you said that was a bad call or something, but yeah, it's, it's gotten beyond the pale and especially with young referees. I have a real problem like in youth soccer where you have a 15 or 16 year old kid who's being abused by an adult. Like that is just, so wrong on every level. Sam Adel to generally never played well, the game think, or has a little another, bit of knowledge. Yeah. I think a big issue with soccer is just how many variations there are of it too. Yeah. Um, it's ball, not like, ball. you know, American football, but it's like if an Italian team goes to play in England and they have a German ref, you know, the, the German doesn't understand the game the way they do. And I think that leads to a lot of, 
you know, the clashes too. But I mean, that being said, it's not like in Italy, they're, they're nice to the refs. So. Yeah. And yeah a lot of it, I mean, in, in youth soccer, you know, just cause I coached for a long time at, at that level, um, you know, it, like you were saying, uh, Flinny, parents just don't understand the game. So they'd constantly be yelling at the ref if there was any physicality. I'm not talking yeah. about dirty play. I'm just saying like a shoulder to shoulder. And um, so a lot of the abuse actually, so then the kids are hearing their parents yelling, which gives them permission to yell, right? right. So I, I'm going to pin a lot of this, at least at the youth level on the parents. It, it drove me crazy. And yeah. um, I, it's the reason why I didn't, you know, coach really to tell you the truth. Cause I remember like, you know, in the summertime doing like the Cosmos soccer camps, kids were great all week. And then on Saturday, the parents would come and it was absolute pandemonium, so, <laughs> you know, and yeah, and no, and everything it sort of taught went right out the window. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And he's like, the kid's eight years old, man, relax. And I also think that good refereeing is, is discipline. Like I, I think, you got to be consistent, and but you also got to lay the law down because if you let early, bad behavior early, go, early yeah, in early, the game, boom, you let bad behavior go, it yeah. never ends well. It always escalates, and yeah. uh, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, insert yourself into the game, but you also don't want to let things get out of hand. So, uh, yeah, that's good. That should be interesting. We should have Ian back on because I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. And I, I think you know, as always with soccer, when you're talking about something. Uh, and you just mentioned it now, Sam, it's like there are cultural differences with just about everything. What's, you know, like I said, the Latino players and like English players, you know, they, um, uh, one, the kicking was bad. Uh, a Latino player would kick it and it wasn't a problem. But if you put your elbow out, like if your arm's out, yeah. they would think that was a dirty play. And the English guys would be like, what? No, it was nothing. So, yeah. you know, th these are big differences. It's the world's game after all. Yeah. So, um, and diving and diving is called. Yeah. Diving too. As, as well. So, yeah. which is, you know, we, we all hate that. So, yes. Um, let's talk about the EPL a little bit. Cause it was a pretty uh, fun week, man. Gola Palooza, huh? Oh my God. Well, yeah. So on the heels of getting the uh, stats guru, Paul Carr on with us and talking about the fact that there had been a uh, real downswing in, goals in the EPL right right after we right. fall on Liverpool comes out and beats Crystal Palace into the ground 7-0 and then Man United last weekend as well beats uh, Leeds 6-2 so so much for the hypothesis that goals are are down but yeah just uh, just crazy I mean the EPL continues to be you know mystifying from the standpoint of predictability uh, Liverpool marches on, but, yeah. uh, you know, Man United has been showing some good form. And that's the thing about this time of the season is if you can rattle off two or three wins in a row, you go from being middle of the table to being right up there near the top six. So I think it's, you know, I love it. I love I, it. I just got to say something about Liverpool watching that game, watching yeah. that game. And people were giving heat uh, earlier because of um, Firmino and yeah. his, his lack of goal scoring. That guy does things with the ball creatively. Yeah. You know, um, you know, if you think about uh, Imane and Salah, I love them both. They both play really well. But just he holds, creates, turns on the ball, so inventive. Megan guys, not, not in a showy way, just his skill is how he creates space for himself is unbelievable. And so now he's scoring. And, and he's scoring. Because he, he had he'd been struggling with scoring. I mean, it, he still contributes, like you said, but he wasn't scoring. So it's like the double threat now that he's actually putting the ball in the net. But they, uh, I, it was really interesting that that was the, Liverpool's first away win in three months, which you just ne never would even yeah, yeah, that surprised you because they, they keep winning, but they're winning a lot at home. And, and Leeds, Leeds is one of the most interesting stories of the league this year because – 
it's feast or famine. I mean, yeah. we all love watching them. They're highly entertaining, but when all is said and done, where are they going to end up in, you know, the, at the end of the year, are they going to end up in 10th place or are they going to end up in 16th place or whatever? So, right. but uh, yeah, against a really good team, you know, a, a leads can get kind of schooled as they did against Man United. So, and Man United, again, you know, everybody had been writing them off and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're in the hunt. They're in they the can, hunt. Well, they, if, if they win against Leicester this weekend, they can get within two points. So yeah, I just, I find it fascinating in Spurs. Spurs is going through their Mourinho thing. Wow. Lost, you know what? They've, lost, they've just... lost two in a row. I just feel it. It's year right. three. I just feel like it's coming. You know what? It's, it's Mourinho is great when he's winning. It's amazing. Yeah. And now he's lost just after he lost the first game, then the second game, you see the wheels coming off him mentally. Like he just yeah. gets so pissed. Um, you know, and that, one, uh, just finally, funny one business of soccer thing, which I thought yeah. was fascinating because we've talked a lot about Newcastle and Saudi Arabia, et cetera. Um, the EPL renewed their deal with B in sports for the Middle East, North Africa region, a new three year deal. Yeah. And the only club, and of course, B in is owned by Qatar. Yeah. The the only team that didn't vote for the deal was Newcastle, who has been heavily linked to Saudi Arabia as an investor in their team. So they decided <laughs> to keep all their options open. Hey, Saudis, don't worry. We're not going to vote for this deal against, you know, for yeah. sports, you, the, the uh, broadcast network you've been pirating for the last few years. And anyway, I just think it's it's a very interesting wow. side story. That's the old adage, follow the money, is basically yes. what happens. So yes, they're still hoping the Saudis are going to come to their rescue. All right, so uh, a lot happening in the world of soccer. A lot of games coming up uh, in the next uh, week or two. Uh, so it's going to be real fun to, uh, to watch and, uh, and talk about it here on OTB. Uh, great guest today. Um, you're going to want to listen to this guy. He's always got something interesting to say. He's, uh, he's been coaching for years and years. He's the goalkeeper coach at NYU. And has uh, coached just all over the place. Like I said, uh, he's um, was a great standout keeper at, at Penn State, but he's always got these sort of off the wall uh, sort of ideas and uh, and also some great stories. He's got one about Maradona. I wanted to share with us on Over the Ball. So you listen to OTB. We'll be back after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com/join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just four dollars and ninety cents a month, or forty nine dollars a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he's my old teammate, roommate from, uh, well, from one crazy summer we spent in Colorado Springs training for the Olympic development team. Standout keeper at Penn State, longtime high school and college coach, uh, longtime goalkeeper coach coach at NYU. He was at Penn State, Harvard, uh, runs his own private goalkeeping uh, coaching. Uh, got all those colleges, you can't keep a job. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Greg Kenny, welcome back to Over the Ball, pal. How are you? Very good, Kev. Great to see you, buddy. You know, we, were, we had a show uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, Diego Maradona, and you, know, you and I were pretty much uh, following that World Cup. I was working doing the halftime show for the 94 World Cup, and you were in country in Boston. And it reminded me of that story. I reached out to you then, but uh, we didn't have time that week. So I wanted to have you on the show a little bit to talk about goalkeeping. The guys have a a bunch of questions about goalkeeping in general, but, um, but I was reminded of that Diego Maradona story when he, uh, when he passed away recently. Tell tell us a little bit about it. What was, uh, how that happened? 
Well, at the time, um, I was playing for the Boston Bolts. Um, uh, they called it the professional league, but I made more money collecting bottles on the weekend. All right. If I can just, if I can just interject at that moment, uh, this moment, I've actually done that joke. I wrote that joke. I did it on television. So you're stealing from me oh, on my boy. own show. <laughs> Lenny, you've stolen oh plenty of material. I do, but my God, right in front of me. It's like, it's like, like asking my girlfriend for her phone number. It's like, you dude, I'm flattered. Here. Yeah. All right, keep going, man. I'm sorry. Right. So anyhow, we were, um, we were playing up in Boston, we, and there was, the teams were at different sites. And I, I, was, uh, I volunteered. You would collect balls and pick up cones or whatever. But Maradona was coming off an injury, and he was on the side field just, you know, just shooting some shots and working with the physio. And I went over and I said, hey, I'll stand in the goal if you want to, you know, if you want him to have a real thing. And they're like, okay, you know. And I was actually all right yeah. at stop me shots so i shot a couple and i like saved them and then he realized now oh, this guy actually can play a little bit so it ended up getting a little bit uh not competitive because clearly he could have hooked it by me whenever he felt like um well went on for like uh i would say you know 20 minutes or whatever and then the really the interesting thing was he was obviously we didn't speak the same language but he gave me a thumbs up at the end and then the team um the team said hey it's time to go and I remember Maradona, you know, going into the net and helping collect the balls, helping the trainer collect the balls. And it was just so interesting to see here's, here's maybe one of the best players to ever walk on the planet. And he's not walking away from his responsibility of, uh, you know, and he was thankful to the physio who worked with him. He was thankful to me for, um, uh, you know, for, for jumping in the goal. And we had a, you know, we had a, you know, uh, the universal language of soccer, a smile and a thumbs up. And, uh, I went on my way and then uh, didn't get an autograph because I was too starstruck. But it was a uh, it was a wonderful twenty minutes of soccer. Yeah, because you're a player at that yes. point. That's amazing. And I think one of the great things about being in America during that time uh, and leading up to that period was that you know anywhere else in the world there would be a mob scene wherever he went, um, and you actually could actually get access to to some of these guys. And I love the great ones like that. You know, he loved the game. And the great ones are like that. They say mm -hmm. they talk about Bobby Orr. It was, it was like that. You know, he's just, it was always one of the guys, even though he was a superstar, um, to love the game, you know? Um, yeah. that, well, that's amazing. So, yeah. so, you, so you didn't get an autograph, so we're not sure if we believe you or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think the other thing, the other thing that was almost as amazing was they were playing 5v2. And, you know, everyone's played 5v2. And as a goalkeeper, I obviously spent the majority of the time in the middle. But... <laughs> Kinesia, uh, Kinesia, yeah. two guys were closing him and the ball came to him and he didn't lift it and head it, but he literally drove it off his own forehead and split the two defenders. And I'm like, I haven't seen that before. I've played a lot of 5v2 and I have never wow. seen that. I've seen people elevate it and head it, but to ping it off your own forehead and split the defenders, everyone everyone was amazed, but I was like, Ugh. Wait, I don't get it. So the ball was in the air and he just headed it and split two defenders? No, someone pinged him a ball along the floor. Yeah. And he was getting closed by two guys. And he is just one touch? Like, is it one, one touch? touch off his forehead, split the players it didn't lift it was off his foot onto his forehead wow. between the two players and i was like i don't think i'd try that um yeah. <laughs> and it was it, it was unbelievable i was like oh my god and i played with Pat ramos and stuff and and i never even saw him try that <laughs> well well half the battle is i think you know you get to a certain level you start to watch what is actually possible with the ball 
I mean, yeah. it's like the kids now get to watch, you know, television all the time with like the stuff Ronaldo and Messi do. I think when we were kids, it just, you couldn't even conceive of some of that stuff. And so once you see this stuff, um, I remember going to uh, University of, uh, what was it, Southern Connecticut State College, the great Bob DeCraney was coaching there. And mm -hmm. I was in high school. I was like a freshman or sophomore. And I remember I was closing some guy down in the midfield and he did the lean move. You know, you lean into the ball and then you, you don't touch it. You let it roll. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I, <laughs> it was like someone had invented fire. I was like, what was that? You know, just blew by. And then you try to, you know, you do it yourself over and over to try and make it happen. So the guys have a lot of questions for you. I know you and I have known each other for a long time, so we have some great stories, but uh, yeah. these guys, because this is a soccer show, they want to get to some soccer and go. Absolutely. Questions. Uh, Grail, what do you got? Greg, it's always great having you on. We love talking to you about goalkeeping. Um, I'm just curious, like, what are the, who are the current keepers you enjoy watching and in your coaching duties at NYU with your keepers? Who do you kind of guide them towards in terms of watching technique and things like that? Well, you know, it's so interesting because I, it's very interesting because what's happened with goalkeeping is at the younger, the younger players, meaning they try – I look, when I coach goalkeeping, I want the ball to tell you what to do. And so many goalkeepers are getting so much training that they try and fit the technique that they have mastered to, the, to saving the ball. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty much the same. Um, all, I think all of them are using similar techniques. Some of them are a little more athletic, so they can jump further, or can jump higher. But I'm a big advocate of, I have them watch, actually watch tennis players. If you watch a tennis player, how he returns a serve and you watch his body position, because the, the difference in goalkeeping is, is, is at the origin, is their, their speed off the mark. It's not their ability to stretch. It's, it's how quick they are from the time the ball struck to how quickly they can move. So if you watch a guy like uh, Agassi was a great serve returner, you watch how light he is on his feet and then you watch any of the top goalkeepers, you'll see very similar body position. And we kind of skip that as goalkeepers. We, we, we want to get to the posts. And I've always taught it, we want to bring the post closer. And the way we do that is with our initial movement towards the ball. If you think about a rocket going to the moon, about 95% of the force is generated in the first five minutes. The rest of it, it's just on its way. And the same is true in goal. Once your feet have left the ground, once you've pushed, you're done. So the longer that you can, the quicker you can move and the, the longer your first step is to move towards the ball, um, that's where you're going to see the great goalkeeping. It's not at the, you know, these guys who, who can save the ball in the top corners, those are gifts from God. They're long, they're lanky, they, all those things. But the initial, their initial movement to the ball is what separates them. So, so just to quickly piggyback on that, Greg, um, with keepers playing further out and playing more teams playing more of a high line, do you think it's even more of like a like a sweeper or defender's mentality that keepers are adopting in terms of just reading the game and how the game is then coming to them and reacting more quickly? Well, you know, it's interesting because the goalkeeper. I, I oftentimes think goalkeeper coaches overestimate what you want your goalkeeper to do. I I. Well, I was not a very good soccer player, but I was a good goalkeeper. And what I tried to do is position myself behind the back four, not so that I would get the ball, but so that the forward wouldn't bother chasing the defender because I could get the ball. 
the last, you know, the forwards never come back. I, I, Kevin never came back to me to halftime and said, hey, Greg, what do you think I should do better in midfield? Mm-hmm. Any more than I would go to him and say, how should I handle crosses? So this, this thought of integrating the goalkeeper fully into the team, I think is unrealistic. I think save shots, catch crosses, and support the team. The, you know, your goalkeeper is your worst field player, no matter how good but, he is. No, but not anymore, player. Greg. And, you know, and it seems, like, it seems like a goalkeeper basically now is almost taking over the position what was classically sweeper. Yes. You know, so like, you know, well, you, you play with your feet all the time. And mm-hmm. some of these guys, man, I'm telling you, playing out of the back is difficult for a midfielder checking back to the ball. But now goalkeepers are hitting the midfielder, you know, splitting defenders. It's, it's some pretty hairy stuff. I'm watching it, you know, and you look like Allison. You're like, wow, he just, you know, one-timed that, split two yes. defenders. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty we, we're not used to seeing it, but now it's part of the game. Well, I do agree with that, Kevin. I, I think the – I still feel – that you, you'll watch a player like Allison and his ability to hit the ball one time and ping a 65-yarder on the, on, a, on the mark is another. But if I was his coach, I would still say, if anyone gets within five yards of you, drive it upfield because there's just not enough gain. So he does make a good play into midfield. There's still nine guys behind the ball. If right. he gets stripped, it's debilitating to the team mm-hmm. to give up that soft goal. And it happens. And, you know, it happens it a couple times a year. Happen. Yeah. And it does happen. And that's where I really think, don't think of, don't think of your position as that you're the straw that stirs the drink. You are the wall that that's behind them. So you're playing forward, Kevin, and I'm, and I'm hiding on the goal line and the center back gets the ball. Now you feel like, yeah, I can chase him because he's only got one option. I'll loop myself in and, and we'll cut it off. If you see the goalkeeper 14 yards away, you're like, why bother? He's just going to play it back to the goalkeeper and play it out the other right. side. And I think that's, that is what's left out of this is they, and I think it's left out oftentimes. It's like, you know, we talked about the skill, your skill, you don't want skill to, to get you. You don't need your skill to get you in trouble. You need your skill to get you out of trouble. Use the inside of your foot. 90% right. of the passes are with the inside of your foot. Settle and serve it. Settle and serve it. I watch some of the college players. They twist themselves into knots. I'm like, just receive it with the inside of your foot and knock the ball 20 yards. Mm-hmm. When you get in the right. attacking third, then do something special. We don't need you to, we don't need you to you know, do a pirouette in the, in the right. nine defenders behind you. And that's my dog, by the way. So if you're going to hear it occasionally as we do our COVID studio thing. All right, Sam, yeah. you have a question for Greg? Yeah, um, Greg, speaking of the college game, like you just mentioned, yeah. we talk a lot about how the compressed season makes it really hard for players to stay fit, you know, for coaches to work on tactics, things like that. And the, the, the sort of style of play can often suffer. And I'm curious yeah. what the perception is from the goalkeeping uh, position, how that schedule affects what you know, that's like. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, the the rules of substitution, you know, it used to be two subs, and there was a there was a huge um, emphasis put on fitness. So yeah, so you know, Kevin Flynn is playing Kevin Flynn, and the one Kevin Flynn is fit, the other Kevin Flynn is unfit. It used to be that the fit Kevin Flynn would wear out the unfit Kevin Flynn, but now with all the substitutions, there's no reason not to develop. 16 or 18 players in your roster that you're going to use anyhow and with with the compressed season what are you hoping you don't get injured guess what you're going to get injured you should have 18 players or 16 players that can play um i think the day of trying to ride the 11 or 12 best players it's just not it's not good for your 
team training. It's not good for the way you play because you're right. You could play a Saturday, Sun, or whatever, a Friday and a Sunday tournament and then follow up by a game Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it hurts to not have a player – you know, people are thinking, oh, well, he's slightly injured. Well, if he's slightly injured, he's slightly slower. Your second player should probably go on the field. And I, I, oh, sorry, Kevin. No, no, I was going to say that's the hard part about, you know, playing, you know, if I'm playing center midfield in college. I was, I was saying, all right, so the two better players are kind of squaring off at the 75th minute mark. I'm hoping that I'm fitter than the other guy across the field from me and I can wear it down. You know, yep. and, and the thing with the, the world's game has a certain set of rules, but college had a different set of rules. You know, Joe Maroney at UConn, when we were playing in college, he'd sub five, six guys at once. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this platoon subbing. And it, it's, it's not the spirit of the game. It's not what the game was. The endurance element is thrown off. Now, having said that, the NCAA, I have firmly believe, does not give a shit about soccer. And so they constantly say, we don't care what, what the game is actually like on an international level. We want as many kids to play as possible. And that, mm-hmm. that's like youth soccer, for God's sakes, not competitive right. college ball. And so they'd schedule three games a week. And mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty ridiculous, especially when you're trying to be a student athlete. Not you and I, of course, but, yeah. but Grail, and, Grail and Sam. But what about <laughs> yeah. from a goalkeeping perspective, though? What yeah. is it like to play every three days and to train the way that you do in college? Does that affect you much? Not a goalkeeper. I mean, okay. you. you if your goalkeeper is not fit enough to play three games in a week, you got a serious problem there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The goalkeeper should be able to play three games in a day. He ran um, a quarter of a mile in three games. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other one that drives me nuts is I went to a tryout and they said, okay, you have to run two miles. And I actually was a relatively fit goalkeeper. I ran two miles and then they said, oh, and we're going to do it at the end of the practice. And I talked to the coach. I said, if I miss the ball by two miles, I'm at the wrong field. I said, why don't you <laughs> – I said, why don't you work on my jumping or catching or something that's going to help us a little bit? You know, I remember uh, when I was going through my divorce. I was staying in town. And I remember I, I worked with you at Trinity when you were coaching uh-huh. the high school team. And you said something to the keepers. Guys, you'll find this really interesting. Um, you know, you were talking about technique before and how don't let technique dictate your ability to stop a pass. The ball was going just rolling back slowly to the keeper. And he went down on one knee. And you're like, what are you doing? And, and he's like, well, I don't want the ball to go through, <laughs> through my legs. Talk about that. You were talking about Jeter, and you gave him all these ideas. <laughs> yeah, I think I said – I forgot what the kid's name was, but I said, Sam, if I was worried about the ball going through your legs, you think I'd put you in the goal? And <laughs> right. um, he was like – I said, just play. Derek Jeter doesn't put a knee down to feel the ground ball, and it's going about 70 miles an hour faster. Right. Be an athlete. The ball will tell you what to do and bend down pick it up and and do your thing that was that old that was that old english style where you put the oh. knee down not to let yeah. it, it was crazy uh grail you got a question? yeah uh, greg i'm i'm just curious uh yeah. I, i'm a big fan of uh, manuel neuer from yes. uh, bayern and germany and uh his his career appeared to be kind of on the descent a couple years ago and now he's managed to not only come back but he's kind of maybe considered one of the top one or two keepers just can you comment a little bit about how difficult that is for a keeper once it starts to slide to actually, you know, get back that type of form? Well, I, I think some of it has to do with, it's just math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, Manuel Neuer makes a save and he just gets his fingertip on it. And that was enough to get it around the post. Oh, that's a great save. 
I oftentimes, I don't know if Manuel Neuer was playing that poorly or if just he had a little mathematical bad run where some mm -hmm. of the balls that in the past he had got a, a hand on um, and tipped around were hit just slightly better. Um, I don't think Manuel Neuer was ever a bad goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, uh, I, I think you want a goalkeeper who's very smart or very dumb. Either they can put, they can learn quickly and get, and, and, and organize it in their mind or they're real dumb and they forget it real quickly. You can't have, you can't have one that thinks about it for a long time. Give me a guy who's back there and he's a blockhead. I didn't get scored on. Well, yeah, you did dude. It just scored on you. Or you get a guy. Oh yeah. And he, and he ingests it. But I, I, I remember they were talking about, Oh, he's sliding. And I was like, he still looks pretty athletic. He still looks. Yeah. But like, but Greg, let me ask you this. Like, so a yeah, great save is literally just millimeters, just getting that touch on the ball, just to risk, you know, redirect it or something. And as you age, perhaps that millimeter, you know, starts to multiply a little bit and just the, the, just touch save that you would have gotten a year or two earlier starts to, you know, you start to lose it. Like, cause I'm watching De Gea, De Gea, yeah. you know, it doesn't quite have the game that he had. And obviously his technique is there and his abilities yep. are there. Just, it, it, you know, is it that game of a uh, game of inches? Well, In it, it, it's, it's such an interesting question because what you have is I was, I was fortunate. I injured my back as a senior and as a as a ninth or a, as a as from from eleventh grade to junior year in college, I thought, well, I'm just going to jump high and run fast and catch it. It right. wasn't until I was limited physically that I said it's much easier to tell Kevin to slide over, or tell one of the defenders to slide over, and prevent it from even becoming dangerous. Because the problem with young, you know, it's like he who is good with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, you who think you can save every shot aren't worried about. It. You think I can save everything. And I right. think as goalkeepers get older or, and learn more, they start, you don't realize that, you know, one of these elite goalkeepers is pulling those defenders around and they trust his decisions. And so many things are snuffed before they even become dangerous. You know, there's a, they're counterattacking and Manuel Neuer or De Gea or whoever tells the center, tells us, tells one of the center midfielders, stop. And he sits in, and he sits in place. They lose the ball. And instead of it being a counterattack right down the middle, it's, yeah. It, they run into a defender and it gets driven to the outside and no one even knows that, that his intellect was what saved that goal, mm -hmm. even though he may not have touched the ball. Okay. Sam? I see. Yeah. Um, Greg, do you think it's fair to say that now in the U.S. we don't produce as many top keepers as we once did? You know, we sort of had our heyday with Keller, Friedel, and um, Howard, and now we're, you know, we have some good keepers, but maybe not quite as good as we did. And if you agree with that, why do you think that's the case? Well, I, the, I mean, the one thing that you have with the, most of those players is they were multi-sport multi -sport athletes. Mm -hmm. And, and this, this focusing on, a, on an individual, on a single sport at age seven, you know, if you can track, there's something gained from tracking a fly ball. There's something gained by playing D-back and tracking a football. There's something gained by chasing down a tennis ball. And I think what happens is you start doing one thing and anything out of that box throws you through a loop. I think Keller and um, Friedel and um, Tim Howard, Tim Howard, all, if, 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 if you were picking teams for any sport, you'd pick them. You know what I mean? They can play. They can play. The importance of good feet has become much more uh, prevalent. And I don't know how great their feet were at the time. 
but uh, the, the game has moved more to the goalkeeper being at least competent um, with his ability to play the ball. Yeah, so, so let me ask you that, Greg, to specialize, you know, it's one of the problems that, that, that we have, I think, in this country. I think everybody tries to train to be either a center forward or a center midfielder, you know, and you try to get 11 guys and, and you know, the Dutch way is sort of everybody plays every position. So you learn that the game itself, goalkeeping's a little different in the sense that, I, you know, physically, you have to be a certain size and ability. I mean, there's certainly guys that have sort of achieved from a smaller stature, but the elite keepers, like, and, and those guys that you mentioned, Keller, Friedel, Howard, they're all big guys, you know, they're yeah, two yeah. or something. How do yep. you, how do you, do you, do you suggest that a, a kid plays in the field pretty much till he's 13, 14, 15 before you put him in the net? You know? I, I think so. I not to bore you with the funny story, but we had I was coaching a young team, and I said, guys, everyone, I said, obviously, you know, Sam, you like him jumping in the goal more than others, so we'll 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 let you play, you know, every other week or something like that. I said, but everyone's going to play. And one of the parents walked up to me and said, oh, my 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 son is so worried about going and goal. I said, tell me. I said, why why is he worried? Because well, he might give up a goal. He'll lose it for the team. He'll he'll feel terrible. I said, tell me more. He goes, yeah. And he was sad in the car ride home. I said, okay, I understand. What position do you want him to play? And the, the mom goes forward. I said, oh, you want him to impose those feelings on someone else. As a parent, as a woman, as somebody who's never played before. <laughs> and the, and the father goes, Mr. Kenny, uh, coach, is it all right if I just walk back to the car and pretend we didn't have this conversation? I said, that's fine. I said, that's a smart son. man. That's a smart man. He's divorced now, but. Uh... <laughs> I really? said, he'll be fine. I said, yeah. it's the nature of the game. Yes, the goals go in. The goals sometimes don't that go was, in. That was a goalkeeper's answer. Yeah. You're kidding me? Go ahead, Doug. Grail, you got a question? Yeah. I, Greg, by, the, by the way, Greg, that story is just so symptomatic of the problem because it's really all about the, what the parent wanted. Yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with what the kid wanted. Right. It was Absolutely. all about the parent wanting the kid up there. So anyway, yeah. um, penalties. Yes. Um, uh, I want to get back to math a little bit and, uh, and decisions that keepers make on penalties. A lot of players in this day and age, the Jamie Vardys, go straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. Why don't more keepers just not move? I mean, they're always going left or going right. If, if, if it's 33%, let's say, to stay the same, go left or go right, why not just stay in the middle, especially if you've got data that says the guy likes to go down the middle? I agree with you. I was a standard. I, I stood okay. and, and, and I, I waited as long. I got as much information as I could get. You know, some people, they're like, oh, I said, well, dude, you, you can't wait till he shoots it because you're never going to get it. But there's a lot of signals that you get. And I was, not, I was not a big one, unless someone said this guy nine times in a row has kicked it to the left side if I had some pre-data. But generally, you don't, you know. So I was an advocate of standing in the middle and, and just counting on him not hitting it that well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you know, you see these guys, right, they run up, they take 67 steps, and then they roll down the center, and the guy flies into the, you know, side net. Uh, Neymar and Pogba, for, they, got, they got ridiculous for a while. They were doing the, the Toulouse two-step there, and they're stepping up to the thing. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I tell you, with the new rule, I would actually start 25, however far, let's say the, let's say the shooter is four steps back. Mm-hmm. I would stay three steps like whatever, three feet off the center and start moving towards the center and make the, de- the guy decide, are you going to shoot to the side of the goal that's getting smaller or are you going to shoot to the side of the goal that's getting bigger? That's and cool. Then, 
and see and, and put the and, and now put the put the onus, onus on them to figure out what to do. I, I so, don't know. If it would work so or you're not. allowed to move as much as you want as long as you don't move out, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So stand four move feet laterally. Yeah. Ten yeah. feet back. I go four feet to the side. You start to approach the chest game. Yeah, now now you have to decide because now they walk up and as Kevin said, they're doing like some break dance. And <laughs> you know, and, and you're like stepping, stopping, you're getting all out of rhythm. I'd put it on them. I'd say, okay, look at you got you got 18 feet to shoot at now, 16, now 12, which way are you gonna go? And and turn the tables. Who knows if it would do anything, but um well, I, I would say that the psychological element to a penalty kick is yeah. It's so like I would say, Greg, even when we did the we were in the sports festivals, I took a guy down in the box, there was a yeah. penalty, and Dave yeah. Combs, Dave Combs was in the net, but he played college ball with someone on the team who was about to take the PK. Yeah. And somebody walked over and said, He always goes to the right. He yeah. always goes to the right. The guy who was taking the PK watched that happen. He knows. He just told him, I always go to the right. So yeah. he's like, do I go to the right? Do I go to the left? I mean, you know, nobody knows what to do. Like all that information means nothing. You're just still in your head, you know? I used to ask the guy. I used to ask the guy. I'd say, which way are you going to kick it? <laughs> and now you're like. What? Why would Excuse I tell me? you? Because you could kick it right by me. You, you shoot so hard. Now you're, now you're screwing them up. <laughs> <laughs> Little mind games. I love yeah. it. Hey, you know, um, uh, you played for Coach Barr at Penn State. Yes. And I know how impactful he was. You know, everybody talked about Paterno for years and years. Yeah. And, and, and he was a hell of a coach. Ended, things ended poorly. Um, yeah. Penn State still sort of reeling from that whole thing. But I always felt like Walter Barr was a legendary coach. And you guys who played for him spoke so highly of him about the, the sort of the, the creator of men and, you know, uh, sacrifice and playing together. Talk a little bit about Coach Barr. Well, the interesting thing is I, I actually also loved Coach Paterno. Yeah. Coach you, Barr and, and Coach Paterno's office was, were right next to each other back in the 80s. Yeah. And I walked on to Penn State, and, my, and Coach Barr and, and Coach Paterno played racquetball together. And Walter said, hey, I have this kid who walked on, and he looks like he's going to be playing here for a while. And I ended up on a football scholarship for my uh my three and a half years at penn state um from joe against ncaa rules or something no, i'm sure it was against ncaa <laughs> rules but i was gonna ask anybody nice. um, <laughs> well we just outed it here we're making yeah, news my God. <laughs> <laughs> um but they were they were similar in a way they were very you know they're, they're both pretty religious guys they they were very consistent with their their players um it's funny because i've told kevin this before Walter Barr, I think if he was not a football coach, would have been a comedian. He was so funny. And people were like, was that a joke? Or was that a question? Because he would ask, he asked the player once, he said, are you lazy or out of shape? And the player's like stuck <laughs> in his steps. Like, um, yeah, how do you answer that? Out of shape? <laughs> there is not a good reply. <laughs> There's not a good reply. All right. Well, Greg Kenny, uh, we appreciate your insights and your goalkeeping uh, knowledge and, uh, yeah. and all your stories. Um, and it's been a long time. I mean, you were on the original show when we were over at Sirius XM. We used yeah. to have a segment and you had these crazy ideas that you would bring up. Um, and one of them was before the, before they started to spray the white line for the, for a, for a direct or indirect kick, you said that they should toss a beanbag down. That was your idea way back in, in the day. So we, we got to get going, but did you yeah. have, what were some of the other ideas that you had had? Did any of them come to fruition? Well, I, the, the one is the damn goal should be bigger. 
right? Ah, oh, no. Yeah, well, let me, let me give you why. Okay, the, when the goal was put in place, the high jump record was about six foot six back 100 years ago. Now the, the high jump record is six foot eight. So you have goalkeepers who can actually jump over the goal. They can jump over it. They're that athletic. The long jump, the long jump record is now like 36 feet. So now you have the goalkeepers are so athletic. You, it's not that it would lead to that many goals. I think it would also display saves that are just in their capacity, but they don't need to show it. So that's the one thing I would like, and not in college. I think you just, you just like, mean you just mean there'll be some more uh, fabulous saves if the goal was bigger. There would be fabulous saves. The goalkeeper would have to play a little bit further back, which would create more space between the the last defender and the goalkeeper. These blocks of eight or ten defenders is very difficult to penetrate, and especially if there's no room between the final wall and the goal, the final line of defenders and the goalkeepers. If the goal was a little bigger and you could dip a ball and the goalkeeper had to play back another three feet, that makes a difference. And I you think it would you don't think the ball has been the equalizer? The the ball, the ball with all the movement and stuff like that, has made that more difficult. Yeah, instead, instead of that keepers? cow's head, that brown cow's head we used to play with. Yeah, I mean, you don't think that's already made it tougher on the keepers? Well, you should see the goalkeeper gloves. That yeah, that, okay. That, that, the, the 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 advancement in goalkeeping gloves. You know, the other day I I. I put on a new pair and I was like, I, someone shot it and I couldn't even get it off my hand. It was that sticky. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I think, I really think that's the, that's the spot. I think that, you know, they do all these statistics of, uh, you know, number of passes, possession, yada, yada, yada. The, uh, the, the statistic that you do not hear is balls that go across the face of the goal behind the last defender and in front of the goalkeeper. I'll take that statistic. If I can have 10 of those, you can ha and you get five of them. You can have eighty percent of the possession. I don't care. The ball that goes behind the defense, between the keeper and the last defender, is the ball that leads to trouble. And with with these blocks of defenders that that get back in form, um, it's just too hard. It's very difficult. You know. I mean, I could probably weave my way through, but you know, I'm special like that. Yeah, you're a special athlete. Yeah, I'll tell you that. You know. I always say I used to always get mad that I would always have to room with the goalkeepers. I talk about this on the show all the time. Yeah. Like, why am I with? You know, we'd have those rooms in in Colorado Springs. It was like three goalkeepers and me, and you've got all yeah. your pants and all the wet stuff. There's mushrooms growing in the room. Jeez, it was ridiculous. It was, I yeah. hated it. Like, and it would happen every time. It's like, and uh, playing you with the keepers. I'm like, why? <laughs> All right, Greg Kenny, we appreciate it oh, so much, man. Have let a, me give uh, you one more, Kev. Oh, my God. He's endless. All right, what do you got? Okay, so here's the other one is that we need to fix okay. is the attacking third, right? The attacking third is 30 yards out, okay? It shouldn't be based on where you are in the field. It should be based on the number of defenders that are between you, your attacking team, and the goal. So if you're – they'll say, oh, you're in the attacking third – but again, there's, there's nine defenders organized between you and the goal. You're not in the attacking third. I would think you'll become, let's say there's a corner kick and the goalkeeper catches it 12 yards out and there's eight guys on, on behind him. With that throw out, he can literally play a ball that puts them in the attacking third. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because the proximity of the goal is not what's relevant. It's the number of defenders between you and the um, 
you and the goal. That is the problem. So we, we need to adjust that. The other is, you know, we play a 4-4-2 or a 3-4-3. Three, three, and now we work on those groups. If you work in the back, you work on how do you move the ball side to side. That's not difficult. I could, I could take a team and in, in a half hour training session, I could show the back four how to move the ball from side to side. The challenge is in the channels. How can we move the ball up this channel, then change channels, move it forward in the next channel, move it in the other channel? So look at the field. Instead of looking at it in thirds from goal to goal, look at it in fifths from sideline to sideline and say, how can we move the ball through these channels while also eliminating players on their team? Um, I got to write a book. I, on I that. feel like I'm taking the SATs for good. <laughs> it's it's been a lot over. of, a lot of math and a lot of <laughs> physics with Greg today. Yeah. Which is why I got in soccer. Cause I wasn't good at math. <laughs> well, you know, you, you do, you do talk a point there, like, you know, playing center midfield in college and checking back to a ball. It was almost impossible to get a good service to get to play out of the back. And so I used to say to my coach, maybe put the better players on the outside uh, you know, so you can sort of spring and, and move forward with some sort yep. of possession. So, um, all right. Well, good. Are you ready? Can we go now? You, good? <laughs> no. you get anything? Now you can talk all day. I know. But, uh, I can talk all day. But, but Greg, funny thing, I did introduce Joe Paterno to Muhammad Ali. All right. Go ahead. Jesus. <laughs> Well, I know no, you, I we're, just... we're gonna have to have you come back for that one story. I once okay. gave up my uh, I once gave up my first class air ticket to Muhammad Ali. There was no seats left. They goes, anybody want to give the seat to the champ? I'm like, I do, man. Who are you kidding? That's me? Nice. Absolutely. Nice. So oh, I sat you know, the... the back, you know, in the middle with you know two large people next to me. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the, who's the champ? This is why he's the champ. Yeah. You know the one we should. The next time we chat, we should talk about the the playing the goal kick in the penalty area. I think that's an I think that's going to really improve the game. Okay. All right. Good yeah. stuff, man. You have hey. a Merry Christmas to your whole family, Greg. Uh, yeah. Greg Kenny, goalkeeper coach at NYU. And also uh, he does uh, a whole book of math problems and how <laughs> <laughs> the quadrants within the field. Uh, thanks for joining us on OTB, pal. Okay. You're the man. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, well, that was fun, guys. I always like talking to Craig Kenny. He's off the yeah. wall. It you know, he reminds movie. me. Reminds okay. me of the Lieutenant Colombo of OTB guests. Just one more thing. Yeah, yeah, he can <laughs> go, but, but they're all good stories. <laughs> no, he's coming like back. This. He's coming back for one more thing. No, it's great you know, stuff. Guys, you, I didn't even mention this. I should have mentioned this on the air. You know, uh, guess who he dated? Monica uh, Lewinsky. <laughs> what? <laughs> he went on a date with Monica Lewinsky. You know what? Really? I forgot all about that. We got to have him back oh, just to yeah, talk we about got, that. We, got, we have to have talked about that. that in the opening. We have to cover oh, that. All right. So it's always great to talk to him. We could have talked to him forever. So, um, oh, yeah. He brings right, up, so, I will say, my, my theory a little bit about that they should start keeping track of like numerical advantages, right? Yeah. Two twos, two on ones, things like that. So. Yeah. I, I don't like the larger goal. I've never liked that idea. I, just, I, I don't like tinkering with dimensions and stuff. That's, that's mm. just me. I'm a, I'm a purist. Wow. You guys are more soccer purists than I am because I throw Monica Lewinsky out there. Nothing comes back from you two. <laughs> I, don't think, I, don't know <laughs> I said, I was like, then. Monica Lewinsky, come on. <laughs> you want Monica me to get Lewinsky. into the whole story? So, all right. So uh, we got to wrap it up in a little bit here, but uh, LA lost last night, huh? Uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, they. Yeah. so we were talking a little bit about it up top. They yeah. lost uh, They lost to Tigris 2-1. Um, 
they, uh, the, 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 the most interesting part of the game are actually, this was, uh, semis, right. You want to talk was, about it? Yeah. It was the semis actually. Yeah. Cause we, we, we kind of brushed over that it was the, uh, Miguel Herrera, who's the manager of Club America, great Mexican uh, player, LAFC had been playing against, and uh, the assistant coach Ante Razov from LAFC had gotten into a tussle in the tunnel, I guess, and uh, both of them got a four-match suspension. But it didn't matter really matter to Miguel Herrera because he was fired on Monday. So I guess I don't know if he was fired because of the tussle. Actually, he or lost to an American result. team. I don't That's know why. what it was. Anyway, it was it was entertaining apparently. You lose to an American team, it's salt in the wound for them, yeah. I think, uh, down there. So, uh, all right, so good stuff. Anything else we got before we wrap it up here, guys? Oh, yeah, I just wanted to mention quickly, this was hot off the presses at The Athletic before we went on air this morning. Um, Atletico's Kieran Trippier, who you guys yep. probably remember, played for Spurs, and he plays Spurs, for sure. England as a wingback. He's been banned by the FA for 10 weeks for betting offenses. He apparently had some of his friends place bets on his behalf. He's also been fined 70,000 pounds, and he's going to miss the first leg of the uh, Champions League match um, versus Chelsea. So it has major implications. He's obviously disagrees with the uh, decision and is fighting it and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, big news. Whenever you're gambling on, you know, placing bets on your own team or whatever, it's, it's just ask Pete Rose, right? Yes, He's, exactly. I, I gambled on my team. Yeah, we, exactly. You know, doesn't yeah. work that way. All right, guys, that's uh, that's great stuff. I hope you're all getting ready for the holidays. As oh we yes, do, uh, the, the holiday season. I've got a cross country trip coming up. I'm uh, planning that. Yeah, I'm a big planner. Well, we've got the we've got the, also the Boxing Day fixtures, which you know in the EPL is such a, a big deal. We've got Arsenal, Chelsea, and Leicester Man United. So two tasty Boxing Day fixtures. What matchups you looking at, Sam? You got anything uh, on the ballot there? Uh, you know, I'm going to take a little break. I think. And huh? all right, yeah, I'm just going to shut it down for a little bit. Come back recharged. All right. Good, good stuff guys. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on over the ball today. I'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Greg Kenny, uh, goalkeeper extraordinaire recontour as it were for Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold. I'm Kevin Flynn. Have a great holiday season, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on over the ball. <laughs>